Hello and welcome into a Watlingless Owen show here on a Monday, April 17th. I'm Luke Owens hanging out with you guys for the next, you know, 30 minutes or so. We'll see how this thing goes. Uh, unfortunately, Matt is out of commission, out of town. I won't give his uh, exact location, but he's unable to join us today. And, you know, Matt said, you know, let's just record Wednesday, maybe Thursday. We'll see what's going on. But I'd be remiss. I would be remiss if I didn't turn the microphone on and get out a podcast today for the people. Hashtag thank you, Luke, just because there's so much going on in New York sports right now with the Knicks off to a 1-0 start in their series against the Cavs, the Nets falling to the 76ers, both baseball teams in action over the weekend, and we've got hockey playoffs coming up. I know Matt's not here, but there are hockey playoffs happening. We've actually got a a quasi-New York matchup, if you will. I know some people that are Buffalo fans won't love me calling New Jersey quasi New York, but New York City, that area with the Devils and the Rangers starting their series tomorrow. And tonight, Matt Watling's Islanders are in action against the Carolina Hurricanes, and he's not here to defend them. So I can basically say whatever I want about them. So that's that's a pretty exciting prospect to have. But we have to start with the New York Knicks. And if Matt was here, maybe I would say, you know, try to defend my my Cavs in six pick. But he's not here. So I'll say maybe I was a little bit wrong. Maybe I was a little bit wrong in my assessment of the series. I'm not going to back out and after one game say, you know, Cleveland's going to win the series uh, or or the Knicks are going to win the series in four or, you know, the Cavs stink or anything like that because it's one game. It's one game. We can't overreact to one game. But I can look at one game and say I do have, I guess, concerns about the Cavs, but also saw a lot of good things from the Knicks in their 101 to 97 win to take that 10 series lead. And I said on our last show, if the Knicks can get one game in Cleveland, they are in beautiful shape because if you're the Knicks, you want to win this game in six, right? That was Matt's pick. I had Cavs in six, but game sevens on the road. It's, it's a death sentence in the NBA. It's, it's like 65% of the time the home team wins that game. And I know the Knicks just won a home game or a road game to start this series and, you know, going up against Cleveland in game seven isn't the same as playing in like the garden for a playoff game or anything like that. I actually thought the Cavs crowd was a little bit lackadaisical over the weekend, but we could talk about that later on. But just the way the Knicks played and specifically how Jalen Brunson plays, it was a very repeatable performance, right? There wasn't anything that the Cavs threw at them that I don't think they can handle throughout the series. There wasn't anything that, you know, they didn't get any crazy output from one player that they're not going to get the rest of this year. You know, granted, Josh Hart maybe doesn't give you 17 on 8 of 11 every single game, but I think Josh Hart has fully, fully cemented himself as, you know, the, I guess, most important player on this Knicks team. You know, obviously, Jalen Brunson's your best player. Julius Randle, close second. You know, RJ Barrett's hanging out. Emmanuel quickly should win sixth man of the year, but that guy that, doesn't really jump off the page when you look at the team. That's what Josh Hart is. I know Matt texted me earlier, you know, I'm not, I'm kind of sick of the Josh Hart love fest. Well, the love fest is deserved. I mean, this is a guy that got five offensive rebounds, timely offensive rebounds time and time again, and really was the anchor of the Knicks bench. I mean, Obi Toppin doesn't really shoot a lot off the bench. Hartenstein probably gave them his best efforts of the series with eight points. And Emmanuel quickly was not good. It didn't end up mattering, but he wasn't good in game one offensively. So if you could have Josh Hart even putting up, you know, 12 to 14 points, but still going after those rebounds, that's the game changer. So when you look at how the Knicks played, Jalen Brunson was fantastic. RJ Barrett was terrible. He was terrible. He's two of 12 from the floor. He's one of five from three. 
And we said going into the series, we're not expecting RJ Barrett to be an X factor. So the fact that he was that bad, unfortunately, because they're paying him a lot of money, was not that surprising. It wasn't that surprising. And Jalen Brunson, 27 points. That's not surprising either. Like, I expect him to average 25 plus in this series. I expect him to have a game where he probably goes off for 35 or 40 points. And I expect him to do it on efficient shooting. It was 11 of 24, 104 from three. Like, this is not something the Knicks can't repeat, right? Even looking at how the Cavs played, Donovan Mitchell was otherworldly, especially, you know, towards the end of the first half when he pulled the Cavs to within striking distance going into halftime. He finished with 38 points. That's expected. Like the whole point of the series for the Knicks is knowing that that Donovan Mitchell is going to get his, you know, maybe you're hoping it's not 38 every night, but Donovan Mitchell is a special talent. We saw in Utah, he's going to have great playoff games. The question is, can you limit everyone around him? And the Knicks limited everyone around him. And, you know, going into the series, I said, I don't think the bench is really going to be a huge factor. It's the playoffs. You're playing your guys a lot. There were glaring, glaring issues with the Cavs bench compared to uh, the Knicks bench. When Donovan Mitchell sat down, the Cavs, they had no idea what to do. Uh, I mean, Dean Wade's not a guy you want to have playing significant minutes. Ricky Rubio, I know they only played six and seven minutes, but, you know, Osman was okay at times. Lavert was terrible. Like, their bench was very bad. Their bench was very bad. They got 14 points from the bench. Josh Hart himself beat that. So, you know, those, those little four or five-minute stretches when you're trying to get Donovan Mitchell a breather – that's where the Knicks can kind of turn this game on its head. And that's what they did. And they, you know, got a little dicey at some points, but they pulled away late in the fourth quarter to win that game. And it felt like, you know, as things were tied, things were tightening up down the stretch. It's like, oh man, the Cavs are going to pull away here. It's going to be a tough game one loss for the Knicks. But it just felt like every single time Jalen Brunson had the ball in his hands down the stretch, he made a play. You know, Donovan Mitchell answered, but he didn't answer as many times as Jalen Brunson did. So this Knicks team is set up very nicely. You know, they've got game two tomorrow night. You'd love to go up 2-0. You'd love to go up 2-0. But worst case scenario, you're 1-1 going back to New York, which is a very good spot to be in. And I know, you know, there is the fact that the Knicks haven't played as well at home this year, you know, that home playoff crowd. But both teams are juiced up for this game, right? The MSG thing works in the regular season for away teams like, you know, the Hornets came in and won a game. The Magic came in and won a game. Teams that normally aren't going to be going 110% every night when they're a million games out of the playoffs can come in and get that extra juice. Everyone's going to be juiced up for this game for game three, whether it's one, one or two, nothing next two nothing next. And you know, the garden might explode before the game even starts, but that road factor doesn't really play as much for the playoffs just because both teams are fired up. So the Knicks are in a great spot here. Cleveland's got to go full desperation mode, you know, in the NBA, it doesn't matter as much because for some reason, there's like eight days off between every game. It's really unfortunate. You know, you love game two to be tonight, honestly, if you're the Knicks, carry some of that momentum. But counterpoint, you get Julius Randle to take a, another day off. So if the Knicks can st- steal 2-0, obviously, then I'd be shocked if they lose the series. But they're in a good spot. They're in a great spot. And, you know, Julius Randle, he's been the talk of the series. How healthy is he going to be? He suits up. He gives you 34 minutes. He gives you 19 points. Was he great? No, he wasn't great. And you can tell the ankle is going to bother him. He was three of 10 from three. It was seven of 20 from the floor. Did a great job rebounding though, right? That's the difference between him and Obi Toppin. People saying, oh, you know, it's not a big difference. Obi Toppin could score, blah, blah, blah. Obi Toppin's not rebounding like Julius Randle. And he got, of course, the most clutch rebound of the game. Offensive rebound off the missed free throw. Knicks retained possession, end up winning the game by four. So, 
his presence in the lineup was still felt. And, you know, if you can get that exact performance from Julius Randle every single game, like you're in a good spot. You'd like for him to have one vintage Julius Randle game for sure. But the way that Jalen Brunson's playing right now, the way that Josh Hart's playing off your bench right now, this Knicks team is, you know, again, I've said it a million times, they're in a prime position here to go up to nothing. And Julius Randle, I think, as the series goes on, you have to hope he feels better. You know, there is the risk of, you know, will it swell up again? Will it get harder to play as the series goes on? But with those extra days off, I think he'll be feeling better. And he had a couple of plays where, like, he jumped to try to make a block and land. You're like, oh, like, that's a, little, that's a little scary if you're a Knicks fan. He did also have the five turnovers and the four fouls. But when he was in there, he had that stretch in the – I think it was the – it was either late first or the early second quarter where you could kind of see the, the vintage Julius Randle coming back. The good Julius Randle, not the – you know, Randall handled, dribble the ball off himself, Julius Randall. You could see that that player is still there as he gets more confident in that ankle. So even with Julius Randall not being an elite scorer like he was in the regular season, you're still in a great spot. And I think for the Cavs, their big men were not good. Their big men were soft. I mean, Jared Allen finished the game okay. He had an okay second half. But overall, I mean, Evan Mobley had the weakest 11 rebounds I've ever seen. He got completely, completely thrown aside on that final rebound of the game, the most important rebound of the game. Uh, Jared Allen was Jared Allen was not great throughout the game as well. It felt like you know we're talking just just watching the game with friends is always a great way to like gauge something because you know you're talking to your friends you're like Allen hasn't been here at all this entire game. Like where is he? Like they had that first play early on the behind the back pass he dunks it, but defensively they weren't great. Like Jalen Brunson was able to drive the lane with relative ease. They weren't getting rebounds. And that's the thing, like going into the series, I thought, you know, those big men for the Cavs would, would step it up a little bit, but to be honest, the Knicks offensive rebound, which is great throughout the season. That's, that's what won them this game and what could win them this series, because I don't know if magically Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are going to get better at rebounding. You know, they both put up double digit rebounds, but like I said, the softest double digit rebounds I've seen like ever watching basketball, like the Knicks had 17 offensive rebounds. Like this is not something that I think the Cavs are going to fix within games. It's been their problem all year. It's like, okay, they're tall, but they really struggle to rebound. And the Knicks, they're great at getting those extra opportunities, whether it's a Josh Hart, whether it's Mitchell Robinson, whether it's Julius Randle, like they have the ability to go and get those offensive rebounds. So that's something that I overlooked. I'm not going to say I was wrong because again, if the Cavs can get better production out of Darius Garland, if they get better production out of their big men, if someone can score for them off their bench, they could be okay. They could be okay. But the problem is, I don't know if that changes. Like, the Knicks might just be the better team. And I'm kind of kicking myself because just a few weeks ago, when they were fully healthy, when they were humming, when they beat the, uh, the Celtics, when they were on their, their huge winning streak, I said, this is a dangerous team. This is a team that can easily win the first round. If they don't win the first round, I will be disappointed. And after that game one... If Matt was sitting here, if, if anyone's listening, well, I know people are listening, but if anyone's listening that wants to disagree with me, there is no reason why the Knicks shouldn't win this series at this point. Like, even though I picked the Cavs, I could sit here and say, if the Knicks lose this series, it is a disappointment because the way they just played in game one, because of what's available, you know, what's out ahead of them right now, like they basically just need to keep this pace, right? They won game one. You want to win game two, but even if you lose game two, you got to get game three. Like, the Knicks have the ball in their court. The Knicks have the ball in their court right now. They're exactly where they want to be. And credit to them. And again, I am not going to sit here and say, 
I was completely wrong. If they if the Knicks win game two convincingly, I might have to come out here and be like, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. You know, I had people saying, why are you picking the Cavs? Look, was there a little bit of bias because I have money on the Cavs to win the East? Maybe. And halt halt the riots, Knicks fans. I picked that well, well before this series. I picked that a few months ago, actually. So it's not an anti-Knicks thing, anything like that. I loved this team a couple months ago. I thought the Julius Randle injury was going to hurt the Knicks a lot more than it did. And maybe it will throughout the series, but in game one, the Julius Randle injury was not the worst thing in the world. So the Knicks go up one nothing. Game two will be Tuesday night in Cleveland. I got to tell you, and I know ESPN did a bad job all day with their crowd audio. Like, I'm, I will say that. But... That Cavs crowd was very lackadaisical. And I understand, you know, looking at like the 76ers game, the Celtics game, like those were lackadaisical crowds as well. But that's because the Celtics and the Sixers were up, you know, from the start. Those games were over. And with the, you know, the Cavs Knicks game, like the Knicks are in town. I, I know they're not the, you know, the 90s Knicks or anything like that. But the Knicks are in town. It's game one. It's, you know, you've got your Donovan Mitchell. You've got a great, one of the best regular season teams you've ever had in Cleveland. It just felt a little lackadaisical. Like the crowd wasn't really into it, even down the stretch. A lot of people sitting down. Like there wasn't that excitement level. So, you know, if you're Cleveland, you got to bring in a game two. I want to see a little something out of that crowd in game two. Again, audio issues at ESPN throughout the day. It seemed like crowd noise didn't make a lot of sense. But then you flip over to ABC for the Kings Warriors game. And, and my goodness, like the crowd, the, the crowd noise is working great there. With the Kings uh, win and letting the beam, I know it's a different vibe. The Kings hadn't been in the playoffs in a long time. They're hosting the Warriors, things like that. But again, Knicks, great spot. Take game two and you are most likely moving on to the next round. So the question is, who comes out more desperate for game two? The Knicks kind of say, okay, we won our game. Let's maybe rest Julius a little bit more. Let's see how things go in game two. Or do you put the foot on the gas? And I, you know, you know Tom Thibodeau. I know Tom Thibodeau. He is going to put the foot on the gas for game two. Brooklyn Nets, they played a basketball game. They tried to play a basketball game. They lost 121 to 101 in game one against the Philadelphia 76ers. And this series, I could tell you, I was I was right about. Like I'm I'm sitting here on Monday feeling the same way I did about this series before it started, right? And the Nets hung around for a little bit. They're only down by five after one. They're only down by nine at the half. Like they battled around. Philadelphia pulled the pulled away late, but they just don't have the capacity to score with the 76ers. And you know, Philadelphia at 21 threes. They shot 48%. You're not going to expect that to happen every game. But James Harden's a problem. They don't seem to have anyone to cover him. Uh Claxton did a good job at Embiid early, but he eventually, you know, pulled away. Uh Tobias Harris had a great game as well. Um, I don't know if the 76ers team is finals good, but they are they are perfectly built to not be upset in the first round. Like they would have to have colossal, colossal injuries in order to lose to a team like the Nets. You know, they remind me of the Sixers. Like the Sixers aren't losing the Hawks. Sixers or the the Celtics aren't losing the Hawks. Sixers aren't losing to the Nets. And when I look at this Nets team, it's like, okay, you know, Miles Bridges had a really good game. He had 30 points. They still lost by 20. Like D- Dinwiddie really didn't give you what you needed from him. Uh, Cam Johnson was, was decent, but you're just not going to get the, the offensive output that you, that you're playing in the 76ers still feel the same way. I think the Nets will take one game. Maybe they need 40 from miles bridges to win that game, but I think the Nets could still win a game, 
But this series is going to be a quick one. Gentlemen's sweep. I still think the Sixers will win this series in five. Uh, but, you know, you got to talk about the Nets a little bit. The Knicks are obviously the story. And to be honest, I think the Knicks right now are in the second most intriguing series of the first round. You know, I think Lakers-Grizzlies is fun. But with John Morant now hurt with, you know, Anthony Davis battled some injuries as well. That's, yeah, you know. And I think Suns-Clippers is fun. But without Paul George, maybe not the same star power. But I think from just a, a competitive standpoint, I think Kings Warriors is is my number one series to watch right now. That that game was awesome. And then number two is the the Knicks and the Cavs. And I think this Nets Sixer series is ugh, somewhere towards the bottom, right near Hawks Celtics and Timberwolves Nuggets. So uh game two's tonight, actually, for the Sixers and the Nets. And if for the Nets, you know kind of happy that game two comes close right like this thing could get out of hand pretty fast but get game two out of the way maybe you could steal one uh but i think if the nets want to win it'll maybe be a game three or a game four in the barclays center which it's probably going to be kind of a sixers home game but if you're the nets you're happy with where you're at for the season you're trying to win a game here you're trying to figure out what you want to build on for next year um so that was, that was talking nets that was talking nets this is a knicks city you know the new york city is the next city this is a more of a knicks podcast and a Nets podcast just because of of where these two teams are and maybe you could sit here and say well the knicks can do whatever they want but they could get absolutely mopped by the bucks in the second round but even that is like the way that the bucks played even with Giannis. like the heat were winning that game when Giannis went down and i know tyler hero's out now we don't know about Giannis, so you know anything can happen in that series but you know, this bucks team if if Giannis is hurt or if he's compromised you never know. You never know. Maybe the Knicks can win a couple games there. And, you know, with with Giannis, we know his injury history. Like, against the Suns, he was hurt. And he was still dropping 50 a game. So, that's – be careful with what you wish for with that. But this Knicks team certainly is more poised for any kind of run than the Nets. Baseball. Baseball happened this weekend. Got the Yankees and the Mets both in action. And I want to start with the Yankees. We'll get to the Mets. I, I think the Mets are definitely worthy of being talked about. Um be, but you know they swept the A's. What do you? What, what can you take away from that series? We'll talk about that. I'm sure it didn't satisfy Matt. Uh, you know there were two games that were a little dicey yesterday. Pete Alonso was the the hero in the ninth, tied the game. Mets winning extras. Uh, a couple of those games were dicey. Game one was oof, was that ugly? The Mets poured it on the A's. They walked like 17 times. It was it was crazy. But I want to start with the Yankees, and I think this Yankees team. Their rotation, the yin and yang in their rotation right now is kind of otherworldly. It's kind of otherworldly because on one hand, you have Garrett Cole, who goes nine innings, two hits, one walk, 10 strikeouts, complete game shutout of the Twins. The Yankees went 2 nothing. They're able to salvage that series after losing the first two. And what you have in Garrett Cole and in Nestor Cortez, who pitched the game before, are two of the best starters in the American League. Nestor Cortez has entered that conversation. You know, one year's a fluke, two years, he's getting that three years now of, of this nasty Nestor version we've seen. He is one of the best pitchers uh, in the American League. And I know he, you know, the game that he started, the Yankees actually end up losing, uh, which is another problem we'll get into. But with Garrett Cole humming, with Nestor Cortez humming, you love this Yankees rotation. The problem is the rest of the rotation. The rest of the rotation. You know, Clark Schmidt's been horrible. Uh, Johnny Brito, I mean, the kid was great his first two starts. He was great his first two starts. 
And then in game three against the Twins, one of the worst performances I've I've ever witnessed. He only goes two and a thirds, seven earned runs, uh, really hampered the Yankees in that game. They lost that game 11 to two. It was over before it started. Like it was over before it started. And we'll see how he bounces back. It's his first, you know, terrible start as a as a, a, a major league pitcher. So maybe he's mentally strong and he'll bounce back. Um, but between him, Schmidt, and Herman, there's a lot of question marks. And Herman pitched really well on Saturday. One of the better games, I mean, you could probably say the best game he's ever pitched in his career. Six and a thirds, 11 strikeouts, which was a career high. He gets the win. He kind of writes the ship. His ERA is down to 386 on the year. But the controversy was there. Like, how much was that Domingo Herman? How much was that whatever the hell the, the umps wanted him to wash off of his fingers? Because... That was a controversy. You know, Rocco Baldelli wanted him checked. They checked him. The umps tell him to wash his hands. I, I've never seen that before. He's told to wash his hands and come back. Um, the Yankees said it was just too much rosin, which, again, never heard of that before. I guess Herman doesn't do the rosin bag on the mound. He does the rosin in, you know, in between innings. He does it in the dugout. So, like, maybe he's putting some, some sus activities on his hands. But, you know, he gets checked. And then the numbers don't lie. After he's forced to wash his hands, he was not as good of a, a pitcher. Like his his spin rate went down, his fastball rate went down. He was he was not bad. Obviously, he only ended up ended up letting up one run the, in the game. But you could tell he might have been aided by a little something. He might have been aided by a little something because I've never seen a player be asked to wa- asked to wash his hands, come back in and keep pitching. Usually, it's like okay. Your hands are sticky. You know, the ump took a, a real good feel. He was in there. He's in there for a little bit. Uh, and you think that he's going to be end up getting ejected, but he doesn't get ejected. He comes back out. He pitches one of the best games of his career, but you could see the numbers drop after that situation. I understand why Twins fans are mad. I, I don't blame them. But again, if it was just rosin, that's not an illegal substance. Again, not sure why the, the hands were asked to be washed, but that's not an illegal substance. So I'm not going to fully jump into the Bingo Herman fan base until I could see him repeat that performance because it's not something that uh, you can expect to, to happen every game, especially if it was maybe aided by a little something. But top of the Yankees rotation, great. Bottom of the Yankees rotation, not great. Carlos Rodon, don't know when he's coming back. Luis Severino, he's throwing. That's good. But at, at the same time, you know, Garrett Cole is picking a, a pretty damn good year to have potentially his first Cy Young. You know, 28 innings so far and .95 ERA, like Great timing from Garrett Cole to try to win that Cy Young Award. And then the other yin and yang when you talk about Yankees pitching, they're bullpen. They don't have a closer. And this is a problem that the Yankees had last season, right? They Arolda Chapman goes to uh, free agency. They're not going to bring him back. Didn't make the postseason roster for obvious reasons. He wasn't good. Clay Holmes is kind of becoming a right-handed Arolda Chapman. On the mound, on the mound, very important caveat on the mound, not, not in his everyday life. I'm sure he's a great guy, but you have this feeling of, you know, is he going to get out of this? And sometimes he does sometimes like that game against the giants a few weeks ago, he'll load the bases and he'll get out of it. But other times, like you saw on Friday, he came in the eighth inning and blew the game for the Yankees. So 
there is the the Clay Holmes that's great. There's a Clay Holmes that has the nastiest sinker in baseball that's unhittable, that doesn't allow anyone on base. And then there's a Clay Holmes that does the walk parade. And if you're a Yankees fan, you pray and you sit on the edge of your seat hoping that he can get out of it. And that's the world of Chapman. Great fastball, nasty slider, can get out one, two, three, looks like the best pitcher in baseball. And then the next game walks the bases loaded, allows the tying run. You know, maybe Clay Holmes isn't sitting there smiling when he gives up that that game tying or that game winning home run. But the Yankees have really had this issue for a few years now since, you know, David Robertson. Um, you kind of thought maybe Loisaga was going to really take that closer role a couple years ago, but he's been battling injuries. To be honest, probably your your best bullpen option right now is Wandy Peralta, but he's not going to be your closer. He's the guy you bring in when you have certain lefties coming up. Uh, when it's you know a couple big outs to get out of. He hasn't allowed a run this year. He's been fantastic, but he's not going to be your closer. Like your closer options right now to me are Jonathan Wazga, who's currently hurt, Clay Holmes, Michael King, who I believe is also hurt, uh, and Ron Marinaccio. And I think Ron Marinaccio is one of the more interesting. And I might have been wrong about Michael King, so I take that back. I, th- I thought for some reason he was hurt. He was not hurt. Uh, he pitched on Saturday. Um, but I think Marinaccio is one of the more interesting options. I think Michael King is as well. But I think if you're the Yankees, you can't really close Clay Holmes right now. And obviously, you know, he's putting the eighth inning on Saturday or on Friday. So maybe some of that confidence in him is is kind of being lost because to be honest, he can't be trusted. You gotta hope he figures out his stuff, but closure by committee is not it didn't work for the Yankees last year. It's a tough situation to throw some into being like okay go close this game like it's it's weird it's one of the things that analytics can't really prove disprove whatever you want to say like you could say okay put in the best pitcher for this scenario but if they're not used to closing it doesn't work out closers have the weirdest mentality they know when they're going in they know the routine like they know as the game is progressing like okay we're up by one i Mentally, I'm probably going to pitch the ninth inning today. Or, oh, we're up 10 nothing early. Like, I'll probably have a day off today. Like, the closer is a very important role that I think kind of goes past this new era of baseball. You need a great closer, and the Yankees don't have it, right? And the Mets, they didn't have it when Edwin Diaz went down, but David Robertson has stepped into that role. So they need a, to find a closer. They have a closer problem. Garrett Cole was the starter, the middle reliever, the setup man, and the closer last yesterday, yesterday which is huge. Gives your bullpen a day off. Get the day off today. Big series coming up with the Angels, who are playing some pretty good baseball so far. So the Yankees aren't a bad spot, but they do not have a closer. And that's the next big issue. Uh, other notes for the Yankees. John Carlos Stanton is headed to the IL once again with a hamstring injury. I I love Stanton when he plays, but man, these these injuries just keep piling on. And that that's... That's the John Carlos Stanton experience. He was awesome. He had a a, you know, a a double that Michael K thought was a home run. Like he he's been really great this year. He's hitting the ball hard. He's doing everything you want, but then he gets injured. And it's like, okay, when's he coming back? Is he gonna be good when he comes back? Because last year when he came back, he was very bad after his injury. He hasn't played a, really a full season with the Yankees since 2018. Now, you know, in 2019, he played 18 games, 2020, the lockout year. He only played 23 of the 60. 2021, he got 140 out of him, which is kind of what you want. Last year, just 110. And this year, he's hurt 13 games into the season. So you rest him, you you put him in the field, you DH him no matter what. 
Stan just seems to have the softest tissues in the softest tissue in major league baseball. It's really unfortunate because he's a great player when he's there, but I don't know. It's, it's another bat in this lineup. The Yankees need to, to mend, you know, Josh Donaldson should be coming back this week, but he hasn't exactly been the Josh Donaldson you were hoping for. And you traded for him. They're trying to figure out how this lineup works. And this is where I will say Brian Cashman deserves to get a lot of credit. I'm not a Brian Cashman hater. There's a lot of them out there, but like plugging in Francie Cordero and getting four home runs from him early, uh, trying to plug in a guy like Willie Calhoun. Yes, he struggled, but if Francie Cordero can continue to hit with power, again, he's not going to hit with average, but if he continues to hit with power, it lightens the load. He's not going to be Giancarlo Stanton, but he can try to lighten the load there. But with those guys, with the Corderos, with the Willie Calhouns, they're not going to keep up their production for the entire season, right? The Yankees are going to eventually need Stanton back, Bader back, be fully healthy in the lineup. But for now, they're not. So that's the, the cards they've been dealt. They're still a good team. And I still think they have the ability to win the AL East, to, to win the AL pennant. But that's the concerns. No closer, no stand. That, that's, the, that's the lesson on Yankee Talk today. As for the Mets, Matt wouldn't be impressed, like I said. But they did sweep the Oakland Athletics after winning two of three from the Padres. Again, it's the Oakland Athletics. You should sweep them. There were a couple of moments there that got dicey. But they end up with the sweep. And they go into a series now with the Dodgers which is really interesting. It's really interesting because the Dodgers are a team that have struggled so far this year. They're sitting at 500. They're, they're not bad. They're not going to be a bad team this year, but they're certainly worse than they were last year. You know, they lost Trey Turner, Clayton Kershaw's a year older, you know, I was going to say they lose Cody Ballinger, but whatever, like they lost some pieces, um, but they're still the Dodgers. They're still a great team. And this is a good measuring stick for the Mets. And, you know, they got right over the weekend. They set up uh, this week, I think, pretty nicely. I mean, Dustin May goes tonight for the Dodgers. He's a tough one against Peterson. This might be the game where the Mets slip up. McGill against Kershaw. Again, Kershaw is still Kershaw. But he's not the the Clayton Kershaw that we've seen in years past. And then game three, you see a familiar face in Noah Syndergaard going right up against Max Scherzer. Now, the big news for the Mets is the calling up of Brett Beatty. And one of the issues for the Mets, they don't have a lot of power. Outside of Pete Alonso, who's got eight home runs and looks absolutely fantastic, they don't have a lot of power. So hopefully Brett Beatty, who has been mashing in AAA, can continue to mash. I mean, the kid had a home run his first at-bat in the major leagues. So you know he's got that power. You know he can bring that spark to third base that they don't have where Eduardo Escobar currently is. So I, I love calling up Brett Beatty here. Um I think he can try to add something to this lineup. But this is still a really good Mets team. I'm not going to sit here and be worried about them. I'm not going to sit here and say they're not a good team. This is still, I think, a very good team. This is still a team that I'm still going to ride with to win the NL East. I'm still going to ride with to come out of the NL like I predicted preseason. I think they'll add, hopefully, a power bat at the deadline. Dan Vogelback has not been the DH that you would hope for. But I am still rocking with the Mets. I'm still rocking with them to win the NL East. And I think that if they can go out West and win – you know, six of 10, seven of 10, that's a really impressive road streak. And they got off to the right start. You sweep the A's. That's how you set the tone. It's baseball. Like the A's are going to win 50 something games this year. It's terrible, but they're going to win some types of games. So, you know, in order for the Mets to, to continue rolling, it was important uh, for them to get to sweep over the A's. 
I'm not going to do an on-man rush today. I, I feel kind of lame walking myself through an on-man rush. But uh, the last note I will have is Matt's not here, so we don't have to do a, an hour and a half of hockey talk. But the Islanders and the Hurricanes start their series tonight in Carolina. Uh, the Islanders, Matt thinks they're going to win this series in six. I actually tend to uh, be on his side in this one. I do think the Islanders will show up. We've got the best goalie in hockey between the pipes uh, in Sorokin. They're going up against a Hurricanes team that hasn't been impressive in the playoffs over the past few years. So I, I like the Islanders to win this series as well. Matt Barzell is back. Um, plus, you got Matt Walling, I think, going to game three. So that's also a huge boost. So shout out the Islanders. Shout out the Islanders. And then you've got the Rangers and the Devils. Uh, Devils get home ice there. But I like the Rangers. I don't think the, the Devils are going to have a great home ice advantage with Rangers fans going into the building. Uh, this Rangers team is experienced. They're seasoned. And I understand the Devils won three or four of the regular season. A lot of those games were early on in the year. Like, you didn't see Patrick Kane in those games. You didn't see Tarasenko in those games. This Rangers team is new and improved and ready to go on this playoff run. So I'm taking the Rangers over the Devils. Um, I think they'll win that in six. And then I've also got – I'll take uh, I'll take Islanders in seven. I'll take Islanders in seven. Um, but secretly – you know, Matt's not going to listen to this podcast, so it's fine. But secretly, kind of hoping that the uh, – excuse me, the Islanders uh, lose because I think it would be funny. And Matt is a bully. He bullied me about the Sabres, tagged me in a bunch of tweets, negative Sabres tweets. Um, but I think this Islanders team's dangerous with their goaltending. That was talking hockey with me. That's that's what you want. Um, and that's going to end the show. That is going to end the Watlingless Owen show here on Monday. Hopefully Matt will join me later on in the week. He's too busy. He's too good for me. Mind you, I could have just, you know, taken an hour off, relaxed a little bit. But, you know, I got to do it for the people. Got to put content out. Uh, so I'm Luke Owens. Thanks for hanging out with me. And we'll see you guys hopefully later in the week. If not, we'll see you guys next Monday.